and welcome to Engineering Leadership Insights, the podcast where we share perspectives, knowledge, practical advice, and actionable steps to help engineering managers and leaders become game changers for their teams, their business, and in life. I'm your host, Jimmy Banjo. Today, I'm talking about trust. This is the second part in my series, and this episode will focus on what happens to organizations and teams when there isn't sufficient trust. I've got a quote here by Warren Bennis, and he writes, trust is the lubrication that makes it possible for organizations to work. So we're going to break down a few reasons, what, a few, sorry, a few points on what happens when we fail to have this lubrication. Well, of course, things get stuck. And how do they get stuck? Well, largely, there will be a lot of backbiting and a failure for your company, for your team, your engineers, your scientists, your technicians to pull together and move the company, move the work in the, in the right direction. So one, one way you'll see this is through the hoarding of information. When people do not trust where they stand, they don't trust they have a future with the organization. They don't trust your motives as the team leader or as the manager. They don't trust their peers. They're going to hold on to information and use it when it comes to their advantage. One way is because they want to always be the person that has the answers. So even though they see that you may be struggling, they won't volunteer certain information until you come to, they come to Thomas and then Thomas now gets to save the day. This also manifests in managers and leaders failing to train sufficiently their subordinates to replicate them. They don't want someone who can do their own job. They want someone who still needs the manager to move things forward because then the manager still has some value. So people will hold on to information, whether it's data, whether it's skills or capability. Of course, why is that a problem? Well, your team will not be able to do all the work they can do or or reach their full potential because they don't have all the knowledge. And to put it in more practical terms, if there's a problem, if they have the right information, your team probably could solve that problem immediately or solve it in a couple of hours. But because they don't have all the information, whether it's skills or just last week's performance data, they have to now go away, begin to investigate. If they don't know who has the right information, they're going to spend time going around the houses trying to locate the information. If they know that you have the information or a specific person has the information, Time is still lost having to check with that person to get their perspective. And again, if depending on that individual's mood, their availability, their capacity, they may not be able to provide the information sufficiently at that time. And what happens when that key information holder goes on vacation? Well, this happens a lot, right? Where things stop until someone comes back, where decisions aren't made, nothing has progressed because XYZ is on vacation. Now, imagine the impact of that to your customer, where they wanted something done, something went wrong, they've come to a member of your team, they've come to Julie, and Julie can't progress it forward because only Thomas knows this thing. And Thomas is away for two weeks because Thomas, you know, is entitled two weeks vacation. You go back to your customer and tell them, well, you give them maybe the truth, or if you're less, you know, less honest, you'll come up with a story to explain some, you know, internal review going on and we're working on it. Either way, your customer's waiting at least two weeks. Now, if your customer is relying on you to deliver so they can deliver for their own customer down the line, 
then this now becomes a story they have to now spin. And it makes them look bad. It damages their relationship with their own customers, which in turn makes them less satisfied with you. So hoarding information has huge, huge ramifications. It's a reason why people have so many meetings that we're having meetings because no one has all the information. So you have to get everyone together just to share what people know when easily that could have been an email, you know, a, 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 two, a two sentence email sharing a report that is already in existence. So the second thing that happens when there is no trust is the creation of silos. Silos, to put it simply, is are when people work without any consideration of how their work impacts someone else. I gave in a previous podcast the example of a fabrication manager, let's call that person, you know, Joanna, and she's, in, she's responsible for, for, for fabricating certain kinds of piping that goes into this chemical plant. And she gets the designs from the engineering design team and she'll hand over her fabricated pipes to the installation team to actually install the pipes into the plant. Now, if Joanna's working in a silo or if her team are siloed, they want to make sure they're delivering within what's required of their team. And they've got to turn around every fabrication, let's say in 21 days. That's great. She's happy to, to keep shipping them out in 21 days. Now, a team member comes to her and says, I think that the, the design we're getting from engineering is, is not sufficient. And when I had lunch with somebody in installation, they, they've been complaining that they spent another 25 days having to modify and do some of their own kind of ad hoc fabrications because a lot of what we're giving them isn't fit the purpose. Now, as a manager, Joanna, she may feel, well, it fits the design and Joanna's right. So there's no problem. They have to deal with that. That's their business. We design what engineering gives us. And that's a silo, man. That's a silo attitude. Because yes, she's designing what engineering is giving her. That's absolutely correct. Her team is doing that. But the team now is aware that what what engineering has given design, sorry, what engineering has given them to design will not be sufficient for the people trying to install it. And they're aware that the installation team are now spending additional days and weeks trying to make the best out of a bad situation. A siloed manager like Joanna really won't care because her targets are being hit. She's looking good. The problem is engineering, not her. Now, Joanna could volunteer to you know, have a meeting, I know meeting's a dirty word, but to bring the parties together and try to understand what's going on, she could. She's not going to because that's not her job. She doesn't care what happens. Now, the reality is with a bit more conversation with her installation team, a bit more conversation with the engineering design team, she may get a better feel for what exactly installation needs. Then what she can actually do is, this, and is, to, take a, is to take a hit. We won't deliver this in 21 days. We'll deliver it in 24 days. But if we deliver it in 24 days, what we'll give installation is what they actually need. And we'll save them having to spend 25 days on doing their own kind of, you know, hodgepodge, uh, fix them up. That saves the company 21 days. So corporate-wise, it makes sense, right? I mean, we're saving, we're getting these fabrications, these, these pipes installed 21 days earlier than we have done in the past. But that means the fabrication team, Joanna's team, is taking a hit. They're not going to hit any of their 21-day targets. 
they've underperformed. So silo mentalities, because I don't trust my manager to see the big picture and see that actually my taking four extra days is an investment in the company. I don't trust him. I don't believe he'll see it that way. I believe I'm going to be, I'm going to be penalized and maybe even terminated for doing that. I don't trust the engineering design team for, to be open to actually, you know, be honest and be, and be flexible about, you know, admitting their problems, their own shortcomings, wanting to have this meeting and, and not pass blame. I don't trust installation to open up and, you know, be honest about their own shortcomings. And I don't really trust that. I don't want to look bad. I have maybe there could be a way as uh, Joanna as the manager, she's also contributing to the installation problems. It's not purely uh, engineering design issue. And does the she really want to expose her own shortcomings to the installation and design team? Because rather than helping her, which ideally is what we want, they actually may turn on her, use this information against her at the appraisal period. So it's better for her to keep on looking good as she looks good now because she's hitting that 21-day delivery even though the customers are unhappy, the company's losing money, and they're going to have to end up looking, they're looking at actually redundancies or terminating some people in installation because of poor performance. So a bit of an extreme example you might think, but actually I've really tried to tone this example down I've seen much worse examples that we're looking at projects overshooting by years because teams aren't prepared to step out of the safety of their team to now find out how what they're doing is contributing to another person's problem or another team's problem. And it still sits with leadership. So let's not blame Joanna too much because Joanna does have a boss in this scenario. Third thing that happens when there is no trust is that the focus in the organization becomes gathering evidence instead of help. So when things are going wrong in teams, especially when there is a bad relationship between a manager and a subordinate, I find it very common, and I've been pulled into these kind of conversations with human resources and with um, some of the people I coach, not for myself necessarily, but as part of my, my, co- my consulting work. And I've sat in some of these meetings where somebody's explaining a frustration they're having with their, with their boss, with their peer, with their colleague, and it's making it difficult for them to deliver their work. What happens quite often is people are now told to document what, what they see. So document the emails you're getting, document the contradictory emails your boss is giving you, the inflammatory emails your supplier is, give, is giving you, document that. Sometimes we're even kept to ask to keep a journal. So if these are oral, they're not, they're not, these things are not um, written down or recorded, you keep that journal. So when the time comes for you to, I don't know, that time, the, let's call it the critical time, that critical time comes, you have evidence to play back and say, actually, you aren't a fault. That critical time could be a disciplinary, they want to fire you. It could be you now decide to sue the company. You have that information. It could be the company you sued or you know, you, you, the company leadership are, are indicted by the FBI and they now want to know what you know. You have your evidence to cover, cover your back so that you won't go to prison because you told your boss this happened or there's been a fatality in your organization and you have been documenting all the safety breaches and every time you've mentioned it to somebody and nothing has happened. So... 
there is some logic because you, you, people keep evidence to protect themselves, but you're keeping evidence because you don't trust the organization to do the right thing. And when companies are saying that rather than face the issues we're seeing head on, rather than address the abuse we're seeing or the negligence or the safety violations or the production issues we're seeing or the unethical behavior or the embezzling or the just blatant disregard, we're asking you just to write it all down and protect yourself. My advice would be if you're ever in that situation where you're now asked to start documenting, one, yes, document. Two, get out of that team or organization as quickly as you can. Because even if it's not, even if it's not an illegal issue, the fact that they're happy to ignore a problem and, but tell you to start documenting it because they, they recognize it's a big problem. They're just not prepared right now to do anything about it. That's a side note, but coming back. So when we focus on gathering evidence and documenting our case, we're not solving the problem. And so if I recognize, take a safety example, that the, the actions from the safety audit that was carried out by you know, the safety regulator, by our regulator, the actions aren't really fully being closed out. That people are saying they're done, but they're really just kind of signing it off rather than actually getting it through and through completed. And I take this up with my manager. I'm not a safety manager. Let's suppose I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a technician and it's not my department. I'm actually just passing through. I notice they post up the actions and I see the actions are posted in the bulletin board. And I've noticed a couple of these actions are not truly closed out because I work in this in an area where I can see they've not put in the, they've not put in the railings or they've not upgraded the fire suppression equipment. So I, raises with my boss and they say, well, yeah, that's kind of unfortunate, but just make a note of it. So in case anything happens, you're covered. Well, but the reality is if something happens, someone could get hurt. So the, what you really want in an organization is for people to take action, not just take notes or capture actions. Okay. So my next point on what happens when there is no trust is Individuals strive to perform well alone and to be seen to perform well alone over the team. And this goes back to my example about the fabrication team, where the manager, she could be hitting her target even though the entire team's performance is failing. This is buttressed in many companies by appraisal systems that reward that kind of behavior. So in some companies I've seen, the fabrication manager will actually get a bonus for hitting her target could get promoted to the next job grade. And, you know, everyone in the company is singing her praises and telling everybody globally, why can't we all be like the fabrication manager, even though her behaviors have contributed to the failure of the other teams? She's failed design by not giving them good feedback. She's failed installation by maybe giving them, giving them some poor quality work and also not taking the, the initiative to pull the different parts together because she's seen there's a problem here. She's actually rewarded for being, for being a very uh, uh, untrustworthy. So when there isn't any trust, the reality is people know that they're only in it for themselves. And they're in it for themselves, so they will strive to make sure they look good, even if it means 
the team suffers. What also happens when there is no trust, quite commonly I find, is that there's an open assault on character. When I started working in engineering companies, I got the assumption that people were very cool-headed and very logical, and points were made basically about facts and figures. What I found my, my, my decade plus in this, in this industry, or working with people, is that, no, engineers are as, can be as petty as really any other sector when it comes to character assassination. And whether it's going around to various engineering managers and team leaders sitting down and just spoiling someone's reputation based on nothing, or they've done something wrong and using and uh, sending an email of the mistake someone's made, blasting them for the mistake, but putting everybody in copy. That kind of character assassination. Going publicly, I had a client, this, this guy is a senior engineering manager, he's a business services guy, and what, what he would do is he would stand in the corridor regularly and he would tell the interns, the visiting vendors, he would tell security and cleaners why his boss, the general manager, why his peers, and why even some of his own managers were incompetent. Out loud. Not in a meeting room, which is still bad. Not in an email, which is also horrible, but actually in the workplace. Publicly. To junior staff. Repeatedly. And he was, he'd been called on it a few times by some of his peers, and it just made him more angry. The funny thing was, his boss never said anything. His boss knew this was happening and didn't address his behavior. So he didn't trust his team, and for him to look good, he had to make sure his team looked bad, and he openly assassinated their characters. Was he right to be upset? Sometimes he was, of course. His team weren't perfect. Was he right to want to vent that frustration out? Absolutely. Was picking canteen, doing um, the canteen, during lunchtime, the best time to do it? No. Was standing in the middle of the corridor. And I mean middle, I, I really literally mean 50%, 50, 50% or halfway between the exit and the two exits. So right in the middle of the, of the floor. And having a very loud conversation with really anybody who would listen. The right thing to do. No, of course not. And this, did that behavior breed more trust? Absolutely not. Now, do you think that his peers that work with him would want to do more work, would want to go out of their way to make him look good, to, to sacrifice their own performance, to help his team get, look better, so the whole team will get better? I don't think so. They really didn't. And um, I won't tell you what happened with that particular scenario, but... The, the, but the bigger issue was in that team as a whole, there was a lack of trust. And that, tr that untrustworthy person and those untrustworthy behaviors were manifested through things like that. But also they bred, they multiplied. So I've gone through a few points on what happens when there's a lack of trust in an organization or in a team. And hopefully you can begin to see the implications of, of how this can actually impact and impede performance. So it, how it could actually impact your bottom line, your staff's ability to hit their targets, to have a safe work environment, or to be creative and fundamentally to be happy at work. And a lot of people think that being happy at work is a bunch of, you know, hippie hoo-ha. I think, you know, people being happy, I think it's important, but it can conjure up the picture of the hippie with dreadlocks 
walking barefoot in the beach with daisies in his hair, singing, you know, how many roads must a man walk down before they can call him a man, opposed to hard engineering. But I'll pose this, pose this question with you, and I'll leave you guys with this thought. When you've been unhappy or stressed, or I mean, really, think of a time when you've really, really been at your worst at work. Did you do your best work? Were you the most creative? Were you, were you the most inspired? Just think about that. So if you know that you didn't do your best work when you were unhappy, why do you think other people would? Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I hope you found a few things here helpful or one thing helpful. If you have, do send me an email. Let me know. And you can email me at hello at fullerjimmy.com. And if you have any comments or about how I can make this podcast better or your thoughts about this topic, leave it in the comment section or also can send me an email. If you would like to talk to me a bit more about the issues you're having in your team about building trust, whether or not you have a really great improvement plan and it's working really well, but you just want a second opinion from me, great. You can contact me by going on my website and scheduling a free 45-minute consultation. If you're in another camp where you're, you're not really sure where to start and you'd like to get a few pointers on how to get going, on ways to build trust in your team in a way that it actually results in better delivery and better performance, then also, again, schedule a call. I'll do a free consultation with you and, and leave a few points that you can, that you can work on. And then there's some of you that just want to know how you can get to work with me and how we can we work together on developing and rolling out a roadmap for you. Same thing. Check me out on my website. I schedule a call. Um, I will leave the link to schedule a call in the notes for this podcast. And also, if you're in my Facebook group or you are in, follow me on LinkedIn, you can also find the, the link there. All right, guys. Thank you again, sorry, and girls for listening. And I will talk to you in the next podcast. Until next time, goodbye.